This is D2C Journey. We talk to innovative e-commerce leaders driving the growth of exceptional D2C brands. We dive deep into their stories to bring you powerful perspectives and actionable insights so you can build a more successful e-commerce business. Keep up with us at d2cjourney.com. Let's get started. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Desia Lutova, and my guest today is Michael Lorenzos, Head of E-commerce Growth at Bleach London, a beloved brand of DIY hair color. Michael, thank you for being on the show. Hello, Desi, and thanks for having me. It's my, actually my first time on a podcast, so it's quite a special one for me too. Ah, oh, brilliant. I'm so glad that we get to um, be your, your first experience on a podcast. Hopefully, it's going to be a good one. Hopefully, it's going to set a high bar for you. <laughs> So let's hop right into the first question. How would you describe where you are on your D2C journey? Uh, so that's a, a very uh, interesting one. I think uh, 2021 was a very transformative uh, year for me. It was uh, basically the first year where I've gone from individual contributor to taking more of a managerial role and uh, dealing with uh, very senior people in the space, dealing with uh, a board of directors, stuff like that. Uh, I would say that uh, it's uh, been the year that uh, I've found that my knowledge starts clicking together, like the different things I knew about marketing starting clicking into one, uh, let's say, central piece. But at the same time, the more you learn, the more you understand how much you don't know. So I wouldn't say I'm like close to where I want to be. Probably the distance of uh, where I want to be has uh, increased uh, as a... counterintuitive as that that sounds. Yeah, it's almost like the more you know, the more you realize that the horizon is farther and farther away. (laughs) But as long as you're enjoying the journey. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about your background. Before Bleach London, you were at Growth Agency and Consultancy Curve, and then you went to Manual at Bleach. So how did starting off at an agency affect your career going into D2C? Uh, yeah, so for me, uh, going into an agency as the first role uh, was uh, quite a blessing. And I, whenever I have a chat with a more junior marketer, uh, I always recommend they they go to through the agency route. That's quite, let's say, biased because that was my route. But at the same time, I the merits, I think, are very similar to a shortcut in uh, early on your marketing career. Like, imagine... Imagine you have an investment portfolio, like you don't place all your uh, eggs in one basket. And the same thing with the uh, foundation of your marketing career. If you end up in a specific business like client side and the business model isn't great, the people you work with don't help you grow, etc. It's kind of a bet gone wrong. Whereas in an agency, you're going to get three or four or five or more than that environments at the same time. So it's actually the best first step even if you want to end up client side yeah it's almost like you get a whistle stop tour of all of these different clients and different models that you can learn off of instead of like you say yeah. going to client side immediately yeah for curve specifically i think uh, the main uh, factor was uh, i was working alongside oren greenberg uh, if he's hearing us massive props to oren he's one of the most well-known uh, growth consultants in uh, london so, yeah, I was very blessed in the beginning to have access to clients that I wouldn't have with uh, uh, such a junior uh, role. And uh, 
Yeah, at the same time, I had a multitude of uh, clients across different uh, industries and uh, verticals. Like I had experience, I had a B2B client and a B2C client at the same time simultaneously would change context uh, all, uh, uh, quite frequently. So understanding that I'm more of a B2C marketer came like quite late after the second year being at Curve. And uh, when I finally decided to move client side, uh, I was focusing on uh, B2C startups. And that's where uh, Manuel came along. And it was uh, truly a blessing being there because I think as far as you know, the London ecosystem goes and for a D2C business, I think the guys there have put the most uh, talented team together. Uh, it was uh, such a data-driven um, let's say, uh, analytical, practical, uh, very resourceful uh, team. Nothing would go to waste. There was no fluff allowed. It was a very, let's say, uh, this is how I really got to grips with the DTC engine and how it works and uh, how to actually launch and grow a successful DTC business uh, with all the components it had, like from ops, uh, marketing, everything. So, yeah, massive props to Manuel too. Brilliant. It's so interesting that you say that, um, yeah, you got all of this different experience because a lot of our um, listeners and the people that we're engaging with um, on D2C Journey, everyone gets to e-commerce from a different path. A lot of people start their own businesses and end up being e-commerce leads for different businesses. A lot of people end up there through more like traditional marketing, um, like brand marketing. So which skill do you think is most important to thrive in that role, in a role like yours, like head of e-commerce growth? I like to think of it as a split between uh, two skills, the hard skills and the soft skills. Uh, and uh, As far as the hard skills are concerned, I think the main one is being good with numbers, uh, understanding uh, cause and effect and uh, the impact of certain actions and how they lead to certain results. And as far as soft skills, I think humility is a big one because we, as, especially as performance marketers, we get into a Facebook ads dashboard and we kind of think that whatever we find in there is our doing, but this couldn't be further than the truth. Like this, if a, you know, a performance channel is working, it's because uh, it's the culmination of all the things that go into the business and uh, performance actually amplifies that. And I think it's, yeah. Uh, keeping your ego in check, understanding uh, uh, that you you might have this fancy head of growth title, but you're still uh, just a cog in the engine. You're not the the heart of the engine. And uh, yeah, being able to zoom in and out of uh, situations and understanding what matters. Like uh, we can talk about you know, let's say the click through rate on an ad, or you can talk about the conversion rate of a page, but it's important to be able to put things into context and sometimes these small problems can be uh, just symptoms of a much bigger problem that you have to not be myopic about and uh, use your time to address uh, the major blockers first. Mm, absolutely. Performance marketing is about amplifying what the rest of the business is doing rather than kind of making things from scratch and taking all the credit, right? If only. <laughs> so you started at Bleach London in 2020. What did you see in Bleach that made you think, this is a business where I can really amplify a lot of things that are going right? And how did you approach accelerating e-commerce growth at Bleach London? 
Oh yeah, so I'm quite a boring guy. I don't uh, dye my hair <laughs> or anything. Uh, I'm a more, more of a lad uh, type of guy. I watch sports, uh, the NBA, uh, stuff like that. So it wasn't on my radar, Blitz. But when they came with the offer and uh, we started talking, I was very fascinated with uh, how they approach uh, the whole ecosystem of uh, building a brand, building a community. It was it is a very differentiated uh, brand. It stands for something. It wasn't built for DTC. It was. It started with a purpose. And I felt like, you know, these are modes that uh, I can leverage and uh, we can uh, thrive with these uh, strategic foundations in place. Like, it sounds kind of uh, buzzwordy, but uh, it's actually quite rare. Like, we see lots of DTC, successful DTC businesses, launch and... Uh, scale with uh, this model in mind but you know the story of sam and alex and how they started from a salon at uh, uh, in dalston and growing into this uh, massive hair color brand is it's actually much deeper than uh, okay i found this business model that works and let's do something about it it really has meaning and uh, uh, especially with alex brownsell being the trend setting uh, uh, vogue hairstylist that she's she's on the forefront with we're creating the best products and uh, hair color. It's uh, yeah, quite an exciting journey. And like we said, like marketing is easier when you have such a differentiated brand and uh, the product is uh, uh, as high quality. And uh, yeah, I was also very excited about uh, being able to access this uh, creative uh, uh, genius and using all these colors in uh, Facebook ads. I was, uh, you know, after... Uh, marketing uh, ED and hair loss pills, it was uh, quite a refreshing change. Yeah, you get to play around with a lot of really cool creative. I love that. But yeah, I mean, as you say, Bleach London is absolutely known as a brand that's not only on trend, but setting trends. My color right now, just for the listeners, <laughs> is uh, Proper Copper by Bleach London. And I was 100% influenced <laughs> by Instagram. <laughs> so I promise that uh, they are uh, like definitely actually trendsetters. <laughs> Props to our organic social team. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen, everything you guys are doing is working. So Bleach is known as a brand that's always on trend and setting trends. How does the team approach listening to customers and collecting customer data? So we have uh, multiple sources for that, uh, being an omni-channel business. Uh, one uh, massive, uh, let's say, uh, feedback uh, source is uh, the salons. Like uh, People do come in and uh, we do have this uh, feedback loop of what the trends are, like where to focus our marketing, etc., uh, one other is uh, actually our organic uh, social. Uh, we are uh, actually encouraging comments and encouraging uh, DMs. Uh, we, we also have uh, the hair line on our website. Uh, we're very open about communicating with our customers, finding the pain points. And our uh, CX team does a great job of uh, putting together reports that uh, highlight the main uh, causes of concern, uh, main discussion topics with uh, with our customers or audience. And yeah, getting all those uh, together from different sources uh, using uh, uh, the uh, tool that uh, we use, it's, um, yeah, it's part of uh, many hours of work for our CX team and there's definitely a big focus. We're trying to have the CX team sit alongside the marketing and so that we 
uh, don't operate in silos. And uh, yeah, like I've done uh, as uh, I've gone as far as uh, to set up uh, Zapier uh, integrations for the CX team. So we try to foster this good relationship between us and uh, yeah, operate as one team as we should. Brilliant. I mean, inter-team communication is so often either the the huge win or the huge loss when it comes to marketing in these bigger teams. And um, speaking of getting out there and uh, collecting data and listening to customers, you guys launched in the US, I believe in June last year. Uh-huh. So um, what insights did you guys take away from that experience? And do you guys have any exciting new launches coming up? Ah, so the first insight is the CPMs are way more expensive. <laughs> it's a completely different <laughs> ball game when it comes to performance marketing in the US. Obviously, the pie mm-hmm. is uh, much uh, bigger, so there's uh, more competition. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, th- this was uh, quite an, uh, like we launched in DTC only in the US. And this was quite eye opening about the fact uh, that, like we said, performance is just one part of the of the mix, you can just take the engine as it is in the UK, plug it into the US and expect similar results. Like we had to be more realistic about our targets. We had to be, uh, we had to understand that we're like in a, uh, we're introducing ourselves ourselves to a new market. Uh, we're not, we don't carry with us these 10 years of Blitz London in the UK. We don't, we don't carry the salons, we don't carry the retail in there. Uh, so we had mm-hmm. to tweak. We we did uh, launch a US specific website with everything uh, being localized, their product catalog being spe- uh, specific to the US, and uh, we did uh, focus our messaging more on the why bleach and uh, versus uh, why this hair uh, uh, product or that. And obviously, it had it had to be utility based, but we did let's say. Uh, emphasize the brand messaging a lot more to get people familiar with the brand and why it's a top-notch brand. Mm. So, yeah, a lot of uh, exciting stuff coming up for the U.S. uh, uh, this year. I can't uh, say more, but uh, if you're uh, uh, in our audience on Instagram, uh, you're going to see uh, lots of things happening quite soon. Brilliant. And, yeah, like um, expanding into a new market is always a little bit stressful, but like you say, more competition, but more opportunity as well. Mm-hmm. So the beauty industry especially is so subjective and online demographics just don't tell us the whole story of what customers want to see, what they value, all that jazz. So how do you guys segment and target your customers for the best results? I'm sure you guys have had a whole overhaul of this approach with launching in the US. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, for us, it's not as much a demographics based like we're uh, we don't uh, believe in boxes that certain age groups or certain uh, genders behave a certain way. We look at it more from, uh, you know, uh, actually customer preferences point of view. Like there's uh, the blonde only customer that wants the best blonde. There's uh, the a more uh, vibrant customer that's going to play around with colors and stuff. So we basically use um, uh, zero party data from our hair quiz. We also use... Uh, actual customer uh, purchases and uh, we try to play around with those audience and those segments for example we had the promo for uh, uh, our um, pink range we didn't go and blast it to everyone like we went to the more let's say 
color savvy customers and uh, communicated that promo to them. Uh, we're trying to be to be more, let's say, mindful of uh, uh, what we're communicating and when. And personalization for us isn't, uh, you know, putting uh, something in the email saying that we know this or that about you. It's about finding uh, people where they're at. And uh, RFM segmentation plays a big part on that uh, as layered uh, with uh, these, let's say, product preferences. So, yeah, it's not something I can um, just say do one, two, three, but uh, all those uh, concepts put together and uh, achieving a high level of segmentation is uh, super important and it does work. It's not just a buzzword. Like you can see it on uh, Clavy or whatever email you're using. The more you segment, the more uh, it resonates. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk a little bit more about performance generally. Um, since you've now been at Bleach London since September 2020. You've, uh, I'm sure you've kind of had your ups and downs in seeing what works and what doesn't work. So what tactics really stand out for you in terms of both acquiring customers and retaining them from an e-commerce point of view? Yeah, uh, for acquisition, I think, yeah, I wrote a whole piece around it. I think the main thing uh, for you to scale uh, acquisition is uh, focusing on uh, the right offer, the one that... Uh, uh, can make your acquisition cost effective. So let's say that you have an, an offer that converts uh, one purchase every 3,000 impressions versus another one that converts every 10,000 impressions. The difference with the higher converting offer is that for the um, for 3x, uh, for less, less than a third of uh, the budget of uh, the second offer, you can uh, get uh, the purchase to reinvest into your marketing. So it becomes more of a sustainable engine. So when it comes to organic social and the media that you don't pay for, we, we do and we want to be uh, super, um, have, you know, super playful with our colors and uh, doing, let's say, opting for variety. But when it comes to the impressions we pay money for, we want to focus them more on the on what converts the most. And this is like a concept that's super uh, important for performance marketing because if you don't get this engine working and uh, uh, getting the dollars you put in come back, you're not going to operate at a high scale for you to even do marketing at all. So for you to unlock all the cool things you need to do on the marketing side, you have to have like, Again, like an investment portfolio, like put the 60, 70% of uh, uh, your performance budget into the, the cash cow. And in terms of uh, retention, I think like the segmentation part and uh, the uh, whole understanding the customer, developing this sort of relationship with them. So we don't just want you to buy the products. We want you to use them uh, correctly so that you're happy with the result and you're here so that you end up coming back. It's quite a traditional uh, uh, concept, but uh, ultimately that's what the customer is there for. It's for uh, a value for their uh, life and uh, value for their life in our case is feeling better about yourself, feeling more confident, looking at yourself in the mirror and liking what you see, uh, feeling refreshed because of your new hair color. So uh, yeah, we, do, we don't uh, just aim for the transaction. We want, uh, we spend significant resources into getting people to uh, use the product correctly and uh, more uh, more educational stuff and more uh, fun stuff around uh, application are uh, 
uh, coming in 2022, as this is a huge part of the business. I love that. I feel like I could hear our listeners just like scribbling notes <laughs> as you were talking. That was like an amazing like five or six insights in like one minute. I love that. <laughs> So yeah, I thought that was just a uh, bubbling nonsense. No, I mean, <laughs> what's nonsense to you is brand new information to a lot of people. So it's all good. See, this is the thing. It's like, so we were talking earlier about being data-driven, right? And I feel like data-driven now is become more of a buzzword at the moment because mm-hmm. suddenly everything and everyone is data-driven. But do you think that there's something missing from that conversation when e-commerce leads are so obsessed with data that they almost can't see the wood for the trees in a way? Yeah, but I think uh, the elephant in the room is, uh, you know, data-driven isn't uh, having lots of dashboards with uh, lots of different data showing. It's like what it's actually, you should uh, think about it with a less is more um, mentality. And uh, my mentality on that is like, what what sort of decisions do I need to to make and uh, which data do I need in order to uh, sway the decision towards one side or the other. And this is uh, something that I see lots of businesses, like I saw it from my agency days. I didn't see that manual at all, didn't see that bleach, but I see lots of businesses making a mistake with that. Like they have this huge... Uh, investment in data upfront without them realizing how this uh, is going to be consumed. And uh, we saw very often, you know, uh, consultants coming into a business, setting up a data tool, not being uh, consumed by anyone, people working from their uh, spreadsheets again. It's, uh, you know, these things sound, uh, uh, you know, bizarre, but they do happen more often than one would like to think. And uh, yeah, data-driven is basically that. Like what I try to do is focus on one single dashboard where I have my key metrics. If I need an analysis on top of those metrics to dig deeper into it, I can then sense if there's a pattern of this analysis being evergreen that I need to have a dashboard and invest time on uh, on it to al- always have it uh, top of mind or whether it's something ad hoc that uh, I need to dig in at that point and uh, being, let's say, mindful with your analyst time and uh, actually having them focus on the things that do make sense makes them even more, let's say, connected to the end goal. Like if you know that uh, you're working towards a revenue target and the revenue target is then comprised of five or six leading indicators, that's when you're more connected to the end result instead of just doing an analysis just for the sake of it. Yeah, just for the sake of writing up a 40-page report that no one's going to (laughs) read. Yeah, these things do happen. Yeah, I completely agree. And obviously, I mean, besides focusing on revenue and making sure that you still have a job, at this point in Bleach London's growth and where you guys are trying to get to, what are the key metrics that you're keeping your eye on on that dashboard? Uh, So yeah, like you said, revenue is the big one. And we try to look at um, efficiency metrics like CAC, ROS, and uh, uh, LTV to maintain a ratio where it's uh, cost-effective for our marketing. And we look at retention stuff a lot, like the repurchase rate every 30, 60, 90 days, lifetime value figures over these uh, periods, and uh, slicing up the data to understand how LTV is uh, influenced by the products you've bought. So we're seeing that 
people that uh, do buy care products in their first order are more valuable to us because they've bought in the whole um, bleach ecosystem. Like they even trust us for their hair care. Like they're, um, they're saying that I have bleached hair. Uh, I'm using that for a color. So I'm trusting the bleach experts how to treat uh, my hair as well. And hair care is a much more competitive space than hair color. So yeah, we're saying that this, let's say, segment of customers is our, um, you know, VIPs, stuff like that. So it's not, again, it's not one thing and it could not be just one thing. But uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of these questions come down to who is the customer? How do they behave? What's the differences? Uh, how much investment should we pour into them? And uh, understanding the customer journey. Absolutely. And um, yeah, speaking of getting all your ducks in a row in terms of keeping an eye on all of your metrics. So um, you guys recently, well, you recently reduced Bleach London's CPA, that's cost per acquisition to our founders that are listening, (laughs) uh, by 20% through better targeting and coordinating partners. So could you tell us a little bit about how you saw that opportunity to improve and how you got that big win? Ah, so I think you're referring to the blog post with uh, Census, right? Yes, that's the one. Uh, yeah, Census is uh, an amazing company. You should uh, all uh, take a look at it, getcensus.com. I can't exactly describe what they do, but basically they're like, they're pumping out data from our database towards uh, all uh, uh, our uh, relevant endpoints. In our case, it's uh, Facebook ads and uh, Clavio. Uh, yeah, so what we did is with our prospecting campaign, we utilized uh, custom audiences made uh, comprised from uh, certain criteria in our database. So, for example, bl- the blonde customer or customers that exceed a certain level of spend, uh, stuff like that. We created those uh, seed audiences then on our prospecting campaign. We utilized those seed audiences to create lookalikes. And all this um, paired together with campaign budget optimization. So we saw a 20% uh, drop versus a campaign that was just on broad. So yeah, I think uh, I think Facebook is going to figure it out. Like the whole, uh, let's say, part about it having uh, some struggles uh, post iOS 14, I think we're going to see leaps from Facebook or Meta this year the more you can connect with uh, your first party data, I think it's a solid long-term bet. And I think census is uh, going to be key and the companies of, uh, yeah, with this technology. So yeah, utilizing first party data is going to, has come to stay. Mm. And how did you kind of spot that opportunity? Did you look at what everyone was doing currently and see that there were gaps or was it kind of just exploratory and experimental? I uh, It came uh, out of uh, uh, need at first. Like I wanted to be able to connect uh, our uh, CRM data to Facebook and the tool we were using back then, it wasn't Clavio and couldn't do that. So we found this uh, in-between uh, solution to send that data to Facebook because Previously, I would, I would just have to do manual uh, exports of uh, our customer database and uh, send to Facebook. I, there was manual work that, uh, yeah. You, you've, One mission. Yeah, you've read it in the blog post. Like, it saved me tons of... So it came out of, let's say, you know, 
trying to solve a simple problem, but when I got acclimated with the tool and seeing the extent I could uh, play around with it, I figured that I might as well use it to its full extent. I love that. I love when you just uh, play around and see, like you say, try to solve a simple problem and suddenly, oh, cool, like our CPA dropped 20%. Love that. I mean, it's not suddenly, obviously. An opportunity pops up, yeah. Yeah, you, you put in the work, but yeah, it's always cool to have that big, big win as a result. So just to kind of zoom out a little bit from tactics to more branding and um, and strategy, um, do you have any D2C brands that you find interesting or inspiring or maybe you're a little jealous of in terms of what they're doing with their customers? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, the one that uh, comes to mind uh, right away is Glossier. I'm... Uh, I've never bought anything from them because I don't need it again. But the way they, they do marketing, like I go into their website and uh, even uh, even without needing any products, I find myself on the verge of converting. I think like it's, <laughs> it should be a super high converting machine from, for them. And I love the fact that it was built uh, from uh, content. Like it, was, uh, it started as a blog and it grew into this uh, uh, DDC empire. Mm. Another, let's say, DTC uh, company I'm uh, uh, jealous of uh, is, uh, you know, all these uh, food delivery, uh, at-home food delivery uh, boxes, uh, the, like mm. uh, Mindful Chef in particular, uh, which I think is a great uh, brand for the UK. And uh, they're uh, also committed uh, with, uh, for they're doing business for good. Uh, they're very mindful of the environment. Uh, they donate stuff uh, charity. So yeah, G- Giles and uh, the guys there have done an amazing uh, job. And I envy their retention metrics, like because when you go, I, I saw it with my flat, um, previous flatmates, like when you go down mm-hmm. this route, it's you become sticky, like you can't go back to uh, going to the groceries. And uh, it it's quite a transformative one. So I envy the fact that they have this... Uh, high LTVs that enable them to spend so much on marketing and uh, uh, you know, acquire customers at a high cost. I love that. It is. It's just like it's one of those things where you never knew that you needed it and then you suddenly can't live without it. <laughs> That's the dream for a marketer. Be like, you can't live without this. <laughs> Brilliant. And one, one quote, like I, not a quote, but kind of like an observation from all these years, like, it's tough to change a customer's behavior, but providing the solution for them to that becomes a habit, like finding them where they're at, like the need they already have, that's what uh, you can do. Like you can't force someone who won't cook to get a, a, a food box a delivery. Like it's not going to happen. But for someone who wants to do that and who wants to do it the right way, that uh, you give so much value with uh, a subscription like this. So I think the, the fundamentals of those businesses, they found a real need there and they found a, a solution that removed the friction and added value on top. So this, again, goes back to why these are a lot more important than uh, uh, performance marketing. Like, all this analysis about how it improved uh, someone's life, it's not part of a Facebook ads dashboard. Like this is just how you you put it in front of uh, uh, more people. Yeah, who knows? Maybe with Meta, it's going to be part of the dashboard soon. (laughs) Be like customer quality of life metric. (laughs) 
Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I mean, on the reporting side, on the reporting side, maybe I don't. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you'll be able to influence it through yeah. through Facebook, but you never <laughs> you never know with these guys. You never know. Um, for our final questions, since we've been talking so much about journeys, Michael, what is your number one travel destination? Uh, so I wouldn't say I have a number one destination because I don't typically go to one place multiple times. Mm. I've been, uh, like, since I come to London, I've been uh, uh, to uh, a few uh, places around Europe. Uh, the last trip I had was uh, in uh, Austria, and I visited this uh, picturesque uh, village uh, called uh, Hallstatt. And, uh, yeah, when I was working there, it felt like it was, uh, you know, it almost felt unreal, like it was uh, part of a painting or something. So... Yeah, since it's the last one, I will uh, single out that one. I love that. Hallstatt, Austria. Perfect, picturesque. Love that. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I hope it was uh, a good one for uh, your audience. And uh, yeah, anyone who wants to comment on something I said uh, or anything, like you can find me on uh, Twitter, uh, Michael Lorenzos uh, or LinkedIn. more than happy to discuss any points but uh, you know disagreement is how we grow (laughs) perfect we'll uh, include those links in the show notes as well it's been great to chat to you and find out how you approach D2C this has been a very interesting conversation big thank you to all of our listeners I'm Dacia Lutova see you next time